0: These four verses declare to us the gospel, your plan to save us, your plan to save, yes, Israel, these Jewish people living at this time, but Lord, it speaks of a greater plan that you have to save utterly your people. And we thank you for that, Father God, and we pray that our hearts and minds be open to that. And that word of truth, God, would bring transformation to us eternally in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, these four verses declare God's plan for this nation, for this people. Now, remember, the Bible is written for us, but it's not necessarily written to us. Remember, Jeremiah 29 is a letter that was written to a specific group of people. But God, in His sovereignty and in His providence, preserved this letter because this letter written to a group of people declares a message for us today. Amen? And the promises of these verses are promises that we can stand on. Today, we can know that God has a plan for us. If Listen, we are, if you are saved. If you are born again, you are the people of God. You're his children. You're his people. And God has a plan for his people. And so the plan of God involves sweet and bitter providence. This is really important, I believe, for us to grasp. Because I think sometimes in today's culture, we We want to believe that God only deals in good things, and then we are defining those good things. And we define goodness or good things based on what we've been conditioned to believe is good. And and I think God is showing us something here in Israel's history that is very relevant for us today. Those Jews did not believe this captivity was good. But yet God declared very clearly. He said, I caused you to be carried away captive for your own good. Yet they rejected Jeremiah's word, they rejected the word of the Lord, because they could not see anything good in what Jeremiah was declaring to them, what what the Lord was declaring to them. And so the lesson for us today is that we need to be really careful of how we judge what is good and what is not. Because God's plan, though it involves sweet and bitter providence, his plan is utterly, totally, and completely good. Because he is good. He is the only one good. And so we have to trust in His providence, though it is dealt out bitterly sometimes. And even when it's dealt out sweetly, we still have to trust in Him. He has a plan. And so for Israel, there was the bitterness of captivity. But in the bitterness of captivity, think about what God commanded them. We read verses 1 through 10 last week, and God told them, He said, Build houses. Take wives, have children, give your daughters to husbands, have grandbabies, plant gardens, and eat the fruit of the gardens and the orchards you plant. And so God's telling them, in the bitterness of captivity, God commanded them to enjoy the sweetness of living life. Listen, this is a bitter world we live in, but yet, it is sweet. We are to, to enjoy. We are to see and to look for the sweetness of life that God has placed all around us. Though He has allowed us to be in a bitter world for this time, in this season, God says, Enjoy the sweetness of life. And so He tells Israel, In the midst of your bitter captivity, enjoy the sweetness of life, build houses. Marry, have children, have grandchildren, plant gardens, plant orchards. Enjoy the sweetness of life. Why? That you may increase, that you may be increased and not diminished. And the lesson there is that we can be increased even in the midst of bitter providence. That's good news, church. That's the gospel. That even in the midst of the most horrendous crime ever committed in human history, in the history of the world, past, present, and future, the Son of God being murdered on a cross. Yet in the midst of that horror, there is a sweetness in God's providence. And this is what Acts 4 declares when the apostles are praying. The nations, why do the nations rage? What do they think they can do against you, God? For you had already purposed, you had already beforehand determined what was going to be done to your son Jesus. It was the providence of God. And so God commands them to enjoy the sweetness of living life in the midst of their bitter captivity. Think about Joseph in Egypt. Joseph is taken as a slave because his brothers, instead of murdering him or leaving him to die, they decided to sell him into slavery and just tell Jacob, their father, that the son was killed by wild animals. And so Joseph spends all of these years as a slave in Egypt, imprisoned. But yet he never let go of his faith. He never stopped trusting the Lord. I don't believe Joseph understood the plan of God, but I believe Joseph absolutely believed that God had a plan. And so Joseph, in the bitterness of slavery in Egypt, bore a son called Fruitful. In the land of his affliction, God gave him sweetness in the midst of the bitter providence that God brought to pass in his life. And so at the end of it all, when Joseph's brothers are there in Egypt and they realize the curtain's been pulled back and they realize this is Joseph and they are fearful for their lives because rightly this man could have had every one of them executed and no one in Egypt would have questioned why he had these men executed. But yet Joseph declares this to his brothers. Brothers, don't worry. What you meant for evil... God meant for good. It wasn't you who did this, it was God who did this. And a nation, think about it, church, a nation was saved. Not only was a nation saved, but the seed of promise, Jesus Christ, was preserved there in Judah. That's what God did. God's bitter providence actually brought great sweetness, the ultimate sweetness, when he brought forth that heir of the throne of David, Jesus Christ. And so in God's plan, faith does not prevent the bitter. I want you to understand this. In God's plan, faith does not prevent the bitter, but faith works in the bitter to make sweet. This is the providence and the grace of a good God, not to destroy his people, but to save them and increase them through the sweet and bitter dealings of life. He wasn't trying to destroy Israel by sending them them into captivity. He was attempting to save them. And not only save them, but to increase them. Remember the promise that was given to Abraham. Part of bringing that promise to pass was sending Israel that nation into captivity. And though that nation could not see it, God knew full well what he was doing. And so why has God preserved these things in his word for us today? Jeremiah 29 wasn't written to us, but God preserved it for us. Why? Because the same sweet and bitter providence of God is working in our lives today. And when we are in the midst of the bitter dealings of life, when we are in the midst of bitter providence, we have to take hold, grasp, trust in who God is, whether we can understand what He's doing or not. Whether we can see the goodness of His plan, we know that the planner, the architect, the author, He is good. And ultimately, that is what he is bringing to pass. So we looked at these five, what I call the five you wills of his people. Now, let's look at these. They're found in Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13. We looked at some key words last week. And one of those key words was the word then. And then indicates when. Remember that? Then indicates when. So then is only when... God brings his plan to pass. So, then you will call upon me, verse 12 says. And so this is one thing God says to his people. He says, you will call upon me. Now think about who he's talking to. He's talking to a people who have rejected him. They might not even think they've rejected him, but they have rejected him because they're rejecting the word of the Lord. Jeremiah brought the word of the Lord, and they utterly rejected Jeremiah, and they utterly rejected God. But God makes this promise to them. He said, what he's saying is, even though you guys have rejected me, and I have been long-suffering with you, I've sent my prophet, and for 23 years he's tried to tell you, and you've rejected him steadfastly for 23 years. But, but God says, you will call upon me. That is, that is a good God. That is the grace of a good God who says though you have... How many of you guys would, after 23 years of being constantly rejected, how many of you would just say, I'm done, I'm going to give up? But, But that's why God is not a man, that he should lie. That's why we're not God. And thank the Lord that we're not. And so God says, you will call upon me. God has a thought, God has a plan for you to call on Him. If you're here today and you know that you have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, that you have been born again, it's because God had a thought, He had a plan for you to call on Him. Whether you were raised up as a child or whether you spent most of your Uh, childhood and into your adulthood like I did, apart from God. I look back and I realize now my salvation was because God had a thought for me. He had a plan for me and I didn't even know it. God knew I would call upon Him. So to never call upon Him is to never know Him. And His grace, it's His grace that brings us through sweet and bitter providence to the place of calling upon His name that we may know Him. God has a plan, and His plan is that we may know Him. God had a plan for Israel, and God wanted Israel to know Him. And He said, you will call upon Me, because My plan for you is that you know Me. Then he says this, remember the then is still there in front of all of these. Then you will call upon me, then you will go to me. You will go to him, you will pray to him. You will go to him and pray to him from a heart that has been turned to know him. God will listen to you when you pray from a heart that has been turned to Him. That doesn't mean that you are your thoughts. Your heart is always perfect without failing. How many of you have a, a heart that never thinks anything bad? This isn't talking about our perfection. It's talking about His perfection. It's not talking about us never getting it wrong or us never doing the wrong thing. It's, it's us understanding that in spite of us getting it wrong a lot, He, in His perfect love, is there. And He is not expecting us to make our hearts good. He's not waiting for you to make your heart good because you can't make your heart good. He will make our heart good. And so you will go to, he says, you will go to me and you will pray to me from a heart that's been turned to me. Not a perfect heart, not a heart that that never fails, not a heart that's, but a heart that I have made good. A heart turned to him is a work of grace that he does. Hear this, church. A heart turned to God is a work of grace that He does. It's not a heart you make good, but a heart He makes good. A heart made new by God. If any man be in Christ, He is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. Who is the Creator? God is. You're a new creation. That in and of itself declares, you didn't recreate yourself. God made you a new creation. When he made you a new creation, he gave you a new heart. He gave you a heart turned to him, a heart to know him, a heart to seek after him. He makes good. He makes that new heart, a heart made new by God. Then he says this, he says, you will seek me and you will find me. God has a plan that we would seek Him and that we would find Him. God's plan is to give His people a heart to seek Him and to know Him. In Jeremiah 24, 7, this is what God declares to His people. In the midst of their utter rejection of His word, here's what God says, Jeremiah 24, 7. Then, there's that word then again. When? When? When he causes his plan to come to pass, because God has a plan for his people to know him, he says, Then I will give them a heart to know me. Then I will give them a heart to know me. God's plan is that you wholeheartedly seek after him so that you may find him and know him. Knowing him is the enduring sweetness. Remember, In God's plan, there is the sweet and bitter providence of God. Knowing Him is the enduring sweetness in the midst of bitter dealings in this world. Now, we can live our life and be consumed with the bitter dealings of this world, or we can live our lives in Christ, and in spite of the bitter dealings of this world, we can know and enjoy the enduring sweetness of knowing Him. Of knowing that everything here, the trials, the tribulations, that we are passing through, and it's important that we understand, it is a passing through. Psalm 23, I always tell people, that's not written for the dead, it's written for the living. We read it at people's funerals, but the reality is that is a psalm of life. And He says, though you pass through, through the valley of the shadow of death. In this world, in this life, in the bitter providence of God, we sometimes pass through the valley of the shadow of death. But the destination God has for us is a higher place. It's a place where he has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And God says, in spite of your enemies, in spite of the valley of shadow, in spite of all of that, I... Am leading you through. You may be passing through, but I have an enduring and internal sweetness that I have worked for you in my plan. Yes, my plan involves bitter dealings, but there is also the sweetness, and that sweetness is the enduring thing because the promise is one day He will wipe away every tear. There will be no bitterness then. There will not be. But for Israel, there was the bitterness of captivity. But in God's economy, in God's plan, it was to bring them to an enduring sweetness. Knowing him is the enduring sweetness in the midst of bitter dealings in the world. To know him is to begin a lifelong journey by faith. And what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Israel could not see the goodness of God's plan. And even for Jeremiah, the only reason he knew it was good was because of his faith in God. It wasn't that he wanted his nation to be carried away captive. But it was the providence of God. And Jeremiah put his faith in a good God that this good God would deal with the people, his people, because he loves them. And his plan for them was not evil, it was peace. It was to give them a future, not to destroy them. It was to give them hope. And so the same promise has been given to us, church. Then we have what I call the five I wills to his people. God then says, remember, this is what he says to to his people. He says, you guys have rejected me up until this point, but you will call upon me, you will go to me, you will pray to me, you will seek me, you will find me when... You seek after me with all your heart, and I will give you that heart to seek after me. I mean, God is making some amazing promises there. These are promises that we can claim, that we can hold on to when we are going through the bitter dealings of life. Listen, this is the promise God gives us. And if God has given you a heart to know Him, then seek after Him with all of your heart and know that God has made these promises to you then God says, this is what I will do. When you call upon me, God says, I will listen to you. When? Then I will listen to you. Then, when I bring my plan to pass, I'm going to listen to you because you're going to call upon me. Not out of a false heart, not out of a wrong motive, but you're going to call upon me because you have a heart for me. I will listen to you. God will listen when his people call on him. God God listening doesn't mean that he does all that we desire. Some of you already know this. For some, this is a lesson that they're going to have to learn. We think because we call God good, God must do everything that we ask him to do. We even have theologies that teach if you just have enough faith, God will do anything you want Him to do. Well, that makes me God and God not, and that's wrong. God is God. And so God listening to us doesn't mean that He does everything we desire. The prayer Jesus taught us to pray was, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. God listening is not to bring about Your plan but to bring about his plan. God telling Israel, you will call upon me and I will listen to you was not to bring about Israel's hopes and desires, it was to bring about the plan of God. And ultimately, the plan of God was what? God revealed it to us in the very beginning, Genesis 3.15, when he said to the serpent, the seed of the woman will crush your head. Whose seed? The seed of the woman. What seed is that? It is Christ. And ultimately, the plan of God was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is the plan God has been, is bringing about. It is the knowledge of this gospel that is to fill the earth. And so God listening is not to bring about our plan, but to bring about His plan. Then he says, I will be found by you. This is really important. God is only found because he chooses to be. Do you guys realize that? God is found only because he chooses to be. When man fell in the garden, do you realize that God was under no obligation? to allow Himself to be found by us. He wasn't. The only reason we are ever going to find God is because God in His divine providence has allowed us to find Him. So God is found only because He chooses to be and because He gives us a heart to know Him. Remember, we go back to Jeremiah 24, 7. God makes a promise. He says, then I will give you a heart to know me. Remember, if if we don't call upon him, we'll never know him. And if we don't have a heart to call upon him, we're never going to call upon him. He gave us a heart to call upon him. He chose to be found by us. Isn't that, that's awesome, church. That's, That's good news. He's not hiding from us. I love the song we sang today, Come Closer. Because to me, the picture of blind Bartimaeus, you should just read that account sometime and just meditate on what's going on there. Do you realize how many times blind Bartimaeus Bartimaeus sat on that road between old Jericho and new Jericho every day of his life, I believe? because his only way of surviving was on the mercy of those that walked by him and would give alms to him. He was blind, he couldn't work, he couldn't do anything. More than likely, somebody had to take him there and place him there and, and and then come help him get home. And here is blind Bartimaeus sitting on the road. If you read Israel's history, you will realize how many self-proclaimed messiahs probably walked by him. See, Jesus wasn't the first person. There's a reason why Jesus never overtly claimed to be the messiah. Critics will say, well, Jesus never said he was God. Well, Jesus never said he was the messiah. There was a reason why Jesus didn't say Hey, Israel, I just want you to know I am the Messiah you've been looking for. He he didn't get up and make a public announcement. Matter of fact, when Jesus would heal and do things that the prophets prophesied that the Messiah would do, Jesus said, don't tell anybody I've healed you. He did everything contrary to what we would do today. I mean, if somebody seemingly gets healed in a meeting, we want to create a website and Send it all over the world and declare that revival has come and this is the place it's coming to. Everybody get your plane tickets and fly to wherever. Do you realize Jesus never did that? Do you realize how unbiblical our mode of operation is today compared to Jesus? There was a reason why Jesus didn't get up and say those things. Because everything he did declared it. Because he didn't have to say it because the Scripture itself declared it. And Jesus knew if they know the Scripture, they'll know who I am. And here's blind Bartimaeus sitting on the road. And I'm telling you what, he's seen all kinds of messiahs come down that road. But one day, Jesus... Is passing by. Now, it doesn't tell us how many times Jesus had previous to that passed by blind Bartimaeus, but I would venture to say that Jesus, that was not the first time Jesus passed by blind Bartimaeus. But on that day, for some reason, let's just call it divine providence, blind Bartimaeus begins to cry out Son of David, son of David. He didn't do it with a quiet voice. You know how I know? Because the handlers around Jesus, his apostles, who who had become his handlers, you know, they were the guys that said, Don't don't let those children come. You know, they'll quench the Holy Spirit if we let children near the anointing here. Jesus said, You guys get real. Let those kids come to me. Hey, you blind guy, keep your voice down. Don't you know who this is? This is Jesus. Jesus stops, he stops. Right in front of blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus. Don't pass me by, son of David. Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? As if. Like, duh, the guy's been blind since birth. What do you think he wants you to do? But yet Jesus asked him this question. He says, I want to be, I want to be healed. And Jesus healed him. And it's ironic that here you have this blind man who could see the Messiah, yet the people with natural vision all around him couldn't discern it. Let's not fall into this trap, church, that we become so familiar with the things of God. We become so familiar with who we think Jesus is that we lose sight of the reality of who He is. And God is making a promise here. And He's saying to His people, if you'll call upon me, if you'll go to me, if you'll pray to me, you will seek after me with all of your heart. You'll find me. I'll listen to you. I'll be found by you. God is found because He chooses to be. Because He gives us a heart to know Him. And I believe Jesus gave blind Bartimaeus a heart to know Him that day. Yet in the bitter providence of God, God allowed that man to be blind and spend half of his life a blind beggar by the road. That's pretty bitter. You think it's tough being blind today. You try being blind 2,000 years ago. It was really tough. But yet, in the bitter providence of God, the Messiah touched Bartimaeus and healed him. And there was a sweetness manifest. And you think about it. We are in this place today talking about some no-name beggar who spent half of his life on the side of the road, who did not have squat. Yet God has put him in the scripture. That is the bitter and sweet providence of God. God has a plan for you to find him as you seek and search after him with all your heart. And when blind Bartimaeus cried out, he cried out with all All of his heart to the point that the multitudes that were thronging around Jesus as he was making his way to Jerusalem, he got everybody's attention. That's the heart God wants us to have toward him. That's the heart God has given us. You can have that heart because God's given you that heart. The question is, is that how you are seeking after him? If you're in Christ, you have the heart to seek after him in that way. The question is, are you? Are you? Well, God has a plan for you to do that. He does. That's what he's telling us. And he says, I'll bring you back. Let's go all the way back to the garden. Let's go to Adam. Adam fell in sin. And like Adam, Israel left God. God didn't leave Adam, Adam left God. God didn't leave Israel, Israel left God. And and like Adam, Israel left God and became captive. Israel was already captive, she just didn't know it. She thought she was free, but she really wasn't. God gave them a captivity to graphically demonstrate what their true condition was in their heart. Adam became captive to sin the moment he fell. And subsequent to that, every one of us in our first birth are born captive to sin. I will bring you back, God says. And that referred to God bringing them back to him, not just to a a city or a geographic location. God was not just interested in bringing Israel back to Jerusalem. God's the whole point was that they would come back to Him. They had left God in their hearts. God has a plan to bring you back to Him. I believe there are people born again who in their hearts, for whatever reason, they have departed. I didn't say they lost their salvation because I personally don't believe you can do that. But I believe you can turn your heart. And I believe God in His grace and in His mercy will bring your heart back to Him. And sometimes that grace and that mercy, that plan involves bitter as well as sweet providence, just like it did with Israel. And then God says, I will gather you. I will gather you. Jesus stood over Jerusalem and he wept. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city who has killed the prophets, how I have desired to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. It's an allusion to Psalm 91, he who dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. And it talks about the wings of the Lord. In what God is saying here and what He's declaring to us, you're His child. God says, regardless of what happens in your life, if you are mine, I will gather you. I will bring you back. God has a plan to gather His sheep who hear His voice, who have a heart to know their shepherd. My sheep know my voice, Jesus said. And no other Will they follow? And if you stray, God will gather you back. That's an awesome promise that God has made to us. You sure are quiet, church. That's good news. It really is. And he says, I'll bring you back to the place from which I have caused you to be carried away captive. Now, Jesus was referring to Jerusalem here, or or God was referring to Jerusalem here. But he doesn't say, I'll bring you back to Jerusalem. He said, I'll bring you back to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. The, The implication here is Jerusalem. This is where Jeremiah is. This is where the court of the king is. This is where Jeremiah is declaring these things. But yet they weren't all residents of the city of Jerusalem. They were... Residents of Judea, and and they were carried away captive from, from everywhere in that region. But Jerusalem represents something. It is the city of the great king. Who is the great king? Christ is. He is the king of kings. Jerusalem represents something, and God is saying, I will bring you back to the place from which I caused you to be carried captive. God brought them back. And 70 years later, God brought them back. And he brought them back to build Jerusalem. He brought them back to build, to rebuild the temple. Now that's a whole other subject, but it's a fascinating subject. When you look at the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple, God brought them back to build Jerusalem. God has a plan, and He is right now building Jerusalem. Now, obviously, you know I'm not talking about a city in the Middle East. God is building a city, but it's not a geographic city. It is a spiritual city. God is building a house. It's not a house of brick and mortar. It is a house, a habitation in the Spirit, Paul says to the Ephesians. Peter says, You are lively, living stones being built up, a spiritual house, a holy habitation of God in the Spirit. That's the church. God is making a real promise to a real nation here. He says, I'll gather you and I'll bring you back to Jerusalem. I caused you to be carried away captive. I'm going to bring you back. But he's speaking something much greater than just that generation 2,500 years ago coming back to their city 70 years later. And there were some who came back. There were some who were alive prior to the captivity who came back, and when they finished rebuilding the second temple, because Solomon's temple was torn down, and Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, those guys oversaw the reconstruction, the rebuilding. And in that day, that temple was dedicated. The Scripture says that the, the men who had been there prior to the captivity and saw the glory of Solomon's temple... When they dedicated the second temple, they wept because it just could not compare to the glory of Solomon's temple. But then God says this, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. And he wasn't talking about a physical temple. He was talking about the house, not that Ezra... Nehemiah or, or Zerubbabel or Herod would build, he was talking about the house that Jesus would build, whose house you are, the writer of Hebrews says. Oh, you should have shouted on that one right there, because I'm telling you what, that's good news. You are the house God promised to build. Those men who wept and God comforted them and said, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. You are the house of his glory. You are the latter house that is greater in glory than the former house. That's you. The church and God is making a promise. I will gather you. I will bring you back to the place. God says, I have a plan to build Jerusalem. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 18. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the church is that glorious city. God has a plan to build his church through sweet and bitter providence. God has a plan to build his church, also known as the bride of the Lamb, also known as the new Jerusalem as seen in Revelation 21. And this is why Paul makes this comparison in Ephesians 5. You can read Ephesians 5. And yes, it's talking about the practicalities of how we're to love one another as husband and wife and even as children and parents. But Paul gives us this caveat. He says, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm really saying here. He said, I'm talking to you about a mystery. I'm talking to you about Christ and His church. A husband is to love her wife the way Christ loved the church. Why? Because Christ is the head of the church. She is the bride and he is the bridegroom. And the the angel tells John, come with me and I'll show you the bride of the Lamb. And John said, I saw descending out of heaven, the holy, the new Jerusalem adorned as a bride. Church, that's you. That's you. This promise is to you. There is the sweet and the bitter providence of God, but I'm telling you right now, He's a good God with a good plan. We can trust Him. You are the church if you have found Him, and you have found Him because He gave you a heart to know Him. And with that heart to know Him, He has given you the capacity to seek after Him wholeheartedly. We should not half-heartedly do anything in Christ. Because He's given us a heart that we can, we can wholeheartedly love Him with. That we can wholeheartedly seek after Him with. Paul says this to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything Israel, in your captivity for 70 years, give thanks. But how are we going to do that? There's no, I, don't, I don't see how that's possible. In whatever situation or circumstance you might be walking through right now, give thanks. Because though it might be the bitter providence of God, I'm telling you what, God has a good plan. Because He's a good God. And you will never, He will never allow you to experience the bitter providence without tasting the sweetness. It doesn't, doesn't make the reality of the bitter go away. If you ever walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will remember passing through it. The point is of him having a table prepared is not that we will forget what it was like walking through the valley of shadow. The point is that God has something much sweeter than that. That was just a path I had to go down to get to that, which is enduring and eternally sweet. Amen? And this is why Paul says, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Because we can give thanks in everything, because in everything, He is good. In everything, He has given us a good future and a good hope. Because His thoughts for us are not evil. His plan for us is not evil, but it's for peace. It is to give us a future and a hope. Amen? God has a plan. Are you knowing Him? It's one thing to say, well, I I know Him. It's not just, I know Him. Are you knowing Him? Are you growing in that knowledge? Are you Do you live to know? How can you come? How can we just say, God's someone we know? He's eternal. There's no end to him. You can't possibly just say, yeah, I know him. If you ever tell me, yeah, I know God, then I know you really don't know him. (laughs) Do we live with the wonder of who he is? The eternal, infinite nature of who God is we live with that wonder, He has given us the privilege of knowing Him, of seeking after Him, of searching out and finding every day new variations, new shades, new colors. This is the manifold, the variegated, the multicolored wisdom of God. You can look and never see the same thing twice. That's how... That's how God He is. That's why His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God has a plan. Are you knowing Him? Are you trusting Him? Are you seeking? Are you thankful? Be thankful, church. We live in hard times. Many people, not just here in Taylor, but, but all over the world are going through very difficult times. But in the midst of the bitter dealings of this world, We have a reason to be thankful. Not that we'll never experience any bitterness, but that God in the bitter and in the sweet providence of His plan is bringing about something that is sweeter than we could ever imagine. And we will know that. We will see that. We will experience that. Not only then, but now. We can now. One day all the bitter will be gone. But until then, he is still sweet. He remains good. Amen. This is, this is the providence of a good God. The God we're called to trust. God we're called to seek after. It is this reality and this truth that the world needs to hear. The world is like Israel in Jeremiah's time. Much of the church is like Israel in Jeremiah's time. We should know the truth, but we don't know the truth. The world is out there looking for good, and and they're never going to find it until they're pointed in the direction of the only one who is good. He is the only one that can save us. Amen? Let's all stand. We're called to trust in Him because He is the God who has a plan. He's the man with the plan. Amen? Father, we thank You. We thank You for who You are. Lord, You have given us so many great and precious promises. Lord, You've preserved Your Word In your providence, God, you have preserved your word and brought it to us, given it to us, so that we can read and know by the power of the Holy Spirit that you are the God who has a plan. You've had a plan from the very beginning, and your plan has never been disrupted, There is no demon in hell. There is no devil that can disrupt your plan. There is nothing that can disrupt your plan. If if that's the case, God, then you're not God. You are God. And we rest and we trust in the confidence that you've given us, the assurance you've given us that you do have a plan, and it's a good one. We just say thank you today, God. Thank you for revealing that plan to us. Thank you for giving us a heart to know you. Thank you for calling us your people. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for preparing us. Thank you, Lord. In spite of the bitter dealings of life, we say thank you, Lord. In everything, we give thanks. Because we know, God, you have a plan. And you will bring about the sweet along with the bitter. And Lord, knowing you, knowing you, Lord Jesus, is the enduring sweetness that you've given to us. and We are so thankful for that, Lord. We're so thankful. Lord, as we leave here today and we prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving, Lord, help us to be thankful not only for all the the friends and the family and the things materially and physically that that you've blessed us with here as Americans, But more than that, and the most important thing, God, help us to be thankful for what you've blessed us with in Christ Jesus as you have given to us every spiritual blessing in Christ. We thank you we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said Amen. amen. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. God bless you. If you're here and you would like prayer, um, maybe you have sickness in your body, you got something going on, we want to pray with you. Also, before we leave, I believe today is Mr. Conway Humphrey's birthday. Is that correct? Yesterday was his birthday. Wow. Well, man, I appreciate Conway so much. Let's just sing happy birthday to Conway. Can we do that? And then if you have a prayer need, come on up and we'll pray with you. And no service Wednesday. Uh, For Thanksgiving, we have a lot of people going out of town, so if you come Wednesday, there won't be anything going on here, so praise God. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Conway, happy birthday to you, yeah, all right, anybody else that has a birthday, happy birthday, happy Thanksgiving, God bless you. If you have a prayer need, come on, we want to pray with you, God bless See you tonight at 6.30 at St. Paul Lutheran. Be there or be square.